Welcome to TC Daily, the technology show brought to you by Tech Central. If you haven't joined us before, please do subscribe to TC Daily. You can do that on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash techcentral. And while you're at it, why not subscribe to Tech Central's daily newsletter? You can get that at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. You'll get all the latest local and international news, and you'll also be alerted whenever we publish an episode of TC Daily. Now, I'm very pleased to welcome in the studio the CEO of Cell C, Douglas Craigie Stevenson. Douglas, it's good to see you. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, it's a genuine question. You've um, you've been through a hell of a time in the last couple of years, working through the recap, etc. Uh, are you relieved that uh, you're finally reaching a conclusion here? Yeah, I'm most definitely relieved, Duncan, and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on this, uh, mm, on this new show. Yeah, it's been a hell of a journey. I mean, I don't think anyone could have envisaged uh, an almost three and a bit year recap. And uh, it is, you know, the results that we put out last week was was tricky in the sense that we had so much to say and we had two reporting periods. And, of course, the burning question was always going to be what's the situation with the recap, where were we with the recap? And so, you know, from my perspective, it's greatly relieved. Um, uh, I believe that we're in a position, you know, post this recap now that we've significantly solved uh, things that were not done in the initial in the initial mm-hmm. recap. But it's been a very long journey. It's been a hard journey. Um, it's been rough on the organisation. Um, and, you know, I think part of the thing from my side was building confidence in the various stakeholder groups that we could do this, get it over the line. And uh, on the one side, yes, the recap is now over, but obviously the the big question is what's the going forward position and, and, and how do we look as a as a new business going Absolutely. forward. Absolutely, we're going to go into that in a lot of detail in this discussion today, uh, which I'm really, no <laughs> really looking forward to, Douglas. But um, <clears throat> an obvious question that, that arises is, is what really took so long? I mean, the, the recap, um, I mean, we were writing about it, I think, back, going back two or three years already. Well, yeah, the idea was, Duncan, we were mm. going to be recapped in November of 2019. Right. But I, I think the... The, the biggest issues around the delays in the recap was was largely the complexity of it. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was a business that was under a lot of stress. It had not performed for a long time. You had just done a recap, and you know, not not long after me get coming on board, it was clearly not correct. It it, it wasn't working, and so you, you had to you had to get a huge number of parties to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more parties you have, the more constant the negotiations are, and and the concessions and and to get it into a position where the recap had to solve for permanent things. Yeah. And that just took incredibly long. I mean, when we just looked at it, you went all the way from the Far East to the United States. So it, it was it was a lot of people involved with a very tricky, complex mm-hmm. fixing, I think, to be done. Um, Post recap, obviously, you know, we've we've addressed some significant things which I think was very important. Um, that are different from what was the, the the original recap. The first is the debt has been decisively dealt with, um, so it's not been parked somewhere or something like that. It's it's off. The second big thing is that the forex element of it is completely wiped out. So there's no forex exposure. Forex has been very noisy in us. Um, the interest uh, was extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 debt that we'd had previously was was was. And every time the rand depreciated. Every time the rand mm-hmm. depreciated, you had all of this noise. But you still had a business underlying that was generating revenue. It had it had had a good solid subscriber base. There was a lot of noise when 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 I made the decision to to remove at the time around thirty four percent of the base. Mm-hmm. It dropped substantially. But you know, with the the associated revenue loss at the time to the direct expenditure, it was 
400 million of revenue versus nearly 1.8 billion of costs. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the big challenge in the market is always, you know, do you get subscribers at any cost, mm-hmm. which, which just doesn't work in a fully saturated market today. The other thing with the recap now was that we went into a CapEx light model. So the business model, if you would, and the strategy around how we manage the network um, was completely different to what anyone had done. So we as a capacity buyer, and, and I kind of want to stress that we don't roam. We actually buy capacity. Our spectrum gets used on it. We've effectively virtualized the RAN. So your... RAN being radio access network. Correct. So so you, you're sitting now with a situation where you have taken away a massive deficit that we had won in terms of we were behind on sites. Uh, back in sort of 2018, 2019, we had sort of circa 6,000 sites. And that was a big problem because you had to continue borrowing to build, to catch up to somebody you never could, and the technology was running away from you. Uh, half of the network at the time was was only 3G. So mm-hmm. you had 6,000 sites, half 3G, half 4G, so it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So we had to make that decision. So you get rid of the debt permanent, you get rid of the forex, you've got an operating model, you're now splitting up infrastructure uh, owners with interest, infrastructure buyers and service delivery, mm-hmm. which is what, we, what, what we're doing now. All right. So, so to take us through the recap, and you, you mentioned it was a very complex negotiation, which is not surprising given that you had multiple bondholders involved, uh, you know, um, pr- people who had provided money to you who are now going to take a huge haircut on those loans. Um, it must have been a heck of a, a difficult discussion to have. Um, how did it all turn in the end? How did, how did you manage to get it over the line? Well, look, I think, I think the, the, the fundamental things that one needs to understand is, one, the business was generating revenue. Mm. So we had gone into an informal debt standstill, and people knew that there was some value in the business. And in the simplest sense to me, the going concern value of the business with a haircut was going to be a far better outcome than a liquidation. So a finalized liquidation value would have been far worse than uh, a 20 cents in the rand mm. uh, payout. And then obviously uh, a number of those uh, inv- uh, debt holders elected to reinvest back into the business at a 2.75 turn, which would be then be 55 cents. So, you know, that did show confidence in the business. It was still definitely generating revenue. Um, the cost of the recap, the forex, the cost of the debt, those were things that were problematic, but we'd, f- we'd solved for fundamental problems within the business. And I think that is the reason why, you know, it was easier to, to get the case over. I mean, at the end of the day, we did avoid BR. Um, we weren't dead, so to speak. Mm. I mean, we were still... Which it very well could have been. It could very much have been. I mean, there was obviously times where anybody could have elected to say, we're going to put you in, we're going to put you in. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to a lot of people mm. in, the, in the stakeholder group, uh, certainly here, that have, uh, have been supportive of, of doing that, you know. And I don't, I don't want to mention them by names, but we can draw the inferences. Of it. But nobody wanted us to, to, to go under, really. It was not a case of, you know, are we going to stick it into them? That, mm. that was, was heartening for me um, and, now, and, and very good. How important is it to the telecommunications industry in South Africa that Celsi has survived? Well, I think it's got a, got a relevant, the, the biggest relevant importance that it got is the way we model operates. So if you look at some of the consolidation that's going forward in the market, mm. where you've got a tie between CIVH and Vodacom, you, we've got an MTN, Telcom, Telcom Rain, whatever it may be, mm. um, it's quite clear that you've got providers of infrastructure and they're going to have to continually invest in the infrastructure. 
Um, so it allows them to have comfort in this. But we sit in a position where we are taker of that capacity and a huge amount of that capacity. So it, it, it actually changes a lot of the profile for, for, for the where we find ourselves in it um, because we kind of like a, a hinge, if you would, between uptake mm. and the rest of the clients and, and, the, and the confidence that you want um, with the big operators to keep investing in infrastructure because the infrastructure demand in the industry is going to get more and more, especially as we go into the 5G, 6G space. Mm-hmm. Before we get into your strategy going forward, I just want to come back to the balance sheet and have a look at what it looks like post-recap. Now, you shared a slide uh, last week, I think it was, with your, uh, with your <coughs> results, um, which showed day one post-recap uh, balance sheet. So this was uh, dated the 30th of September 2022. You had total liabilities of $12.4 billion, of which current liabilities were 7.6 and your non-current were 4.8. Maybe just take us through that remaining debt. How sustainable is that debt? How much are you going to be spending servicing that debt? What's the outlook for it? Okay, so, so what, 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 the, I think an easier way to look at it mm-hmm. is to say, if you looked at the, at the actual equity value of the business, mm-hmm. you've effectively wiped out just over 8 billion rand. So the composition of the, of the, de- of the new debt that sits between um, what was in current assets, current liabilities, how they've been reprofiled, who gets paid, where the debt holidays are. And in essence, what's happening with the quasi-equity because of the very long payment profiles of, of, the, of the debt to, to, like, for example, what has been put in from Blue Label and the likes, um, has allowed it to be, as I say, a quasi-debt situation. Mm-hmm. So the, the serviceability of the debt is, is now in line with what the business can, can accommodate okay. under the guidance numbers of, of the EBITDA. So obviously post EBITDA, we would then pay, pay obviously interest. We have an interest holiday, so there's nothing due in the next year. Um, and, and well, actually nothing due basically for the first two years. And then we start to pay back um, a capital and an interest portion on that. But big things that are out of there is there's no Forex in it, which was a mm-hmm. very, very noisy part. And obviously the cost of the debt is substantially lower than what it was um, prior to uh, the recap. Mm-hmm. And you must have a huge tax benefit uh, sitting on your books right now. Um, when do you get to take advantage of that? Well, th- that's, that's a very good question, Duncan. Um, obviously, there's a, a little bit of concern around, oh, there's negative equity in it, but mm-hmm. the deferred tax assets, so the current assessed losses are, are, are sort of circa $28 billion wow. if you were to look at that on a 28% rate. Uh, you, you're looking at around seven, eight billion already that could potentially come onto it, but you can't bring that deferred tax asset on until you've got positive earnings going forward. Right. So, you know, obviously passing muster with the auditors and the like, that's one of the assets that you would build, bring in. The other big asset that we have, which is not on the balance sheet, is the Spectrum Holdings. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's an intangible, but it's still it's still part of what ties up the ability of us as a, in our business model to to carry traffic on a virtualized mm-hmm. rent. So it's it's kind of the, yeah. the the gasoline, if you would, for 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 the for the car. A lot of a lot of people um, expressed some surprise when you participated in the recent Spectrum auction uh, that you continue to retain your Spectrum assets. You see them as as a fundamental asset to the business. Yet you're st- <coughs> you're, you're closing down your own radio access network in favour of running your network on the Vodacom and Net and MTN infrastructure. Why why retain your spectrum asset? Why is it important? No, no, to we sell use sell? our spectrum to carry the traffic on R- the network. So right. that's what's an important differentiator. Okay. So we still use our spectrum. So the, the radio configurations are just different. It's mm-hmm. not that they we don't roam on them. Okay. That's the big difference. I see. It's it's 
the Your use of spectrum. the spectrum is mm-hmm. there to carry the traffic. Understood, understood. Okay. So post recap, um, what does your shareholder makeup look like? I know Blue Label's uh, share prices or share, share, share value um, in uh, Celsius has increased to just under 50%. Yeah, it's 49.5. 49.5 RDR. Yes. Uh, has there been, uh, what, what are the changes that we've seen well, in the share Well, obviously, Lusaka, with Lusaka, which was the old net one, they still, they still in. They continue to invest. They, what is their shareholding now? No, this was diluted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, the balance of the shares that sit with, remember, because this was a debt, this was a debt refinance, yeah. this was yeah. not an equity refinance. Uh, the rest of the debt sits through the, the various... Leave trust and 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 some of the SPVs that were there. Okay, and the old net one uh, had fifteen percent, so that's been that's, that's been diluted down slightly. So uh, Blue Label has slightly increased its shareholding. Blue Label can't take its shareholding over fifty percent, can it? It triggers some sort of that issue. That will trigger a control problem mm-hmm. with ICASA. No, I think people would obviously be concerned about it from a Comcom perspective and that type of thing. Okay, but I mean, <clears throat> if you look at some of my competitors, they've got. Uh, major shareholders over 50%. Yeah. I think the big question that everyone's really asking is, you know, to what extent is there going to be cross-pollination mm. and what is Blue's involvement going to be in mm. Celsius and the like? And my answer to that is simple. You know, one of the, the parts of the journey um, th- that we've had over the, the last sort of three years is is definitely been a bolster in the governance. It's definitely, you know, we weren't a listed organisation. Mm. So there was a lot of things that were done in the business and I think, you know, I had very, um, very large figured predecessors um, and, and, and I had to sort of bring sobriety if you wanted it to it. So, you know, for me, a governance framework that works dealing with related parties, related parties are not a bad thing, but you've got to deal with them correctly. You've got to disclose them correctly. You've got to make sure they're arm's length. You've got to mm-hmm. make sure they're in compliance with the Companies Act. But where groups have synergies, you have to exploit them. Um, at the end of the day, Blue Label is still um, a huge distributor of, of airtime products for all the networks mm. um, and has access to a number of things, you know, in their own data networks and, and the likes, which which must get accessed by Celsius and, and vice versa. So I think the bigger takeaway from this is the market and, you know, uh, the investors and, and the like in the community needs to be able to sh- be sure that they understand where the economic benefits accrue and where they stay. At the end of the day, the way I see it is that a successful Celsius will ultimately um, culminate in a in a right back of the impairment of the asset in, in initially in Blue Label, and that does wonders for their market cap. A healthy Celsius yep. will make a healthy Blue Label. How, how closely though do you work with the Levy brothers? Are they? I mean, do you do you communicate with them on a daily basis about strategy? Are they involved? Do they provide inputs on a regular basis in terms of where Celsius is going? Look, if you're asking the difference between Brett and Mark, Brett, of course, is always providing, you know, his view on, on things. And, right. and, and, you know, I enjoy Brett. Brett. Brett's an entrepreneurial guy. You can't take away from, from where they came from and what they did. Uh, and I'm a commercial guy, uh, a corporate guy. So mm. you kind of, you're going to have a natural uh, sort of, I would call it a nice healthy friction between the two okay. of us. <laughs> um, I'm clear. I run Celsius. Uh, he is a shareholder and he's a distribution partner, but uh, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine, right. and I think that's the way it needs but to be. But he makes his views known. Of course he does. Yeah. He's entitled to. Of course, of course. Okay, great, great. Well, let's unpack the strategy a bit, because I think this is actually the really exciting stuff. Um, we could we could talk about the legacy here forever, but no, um, of course. this is a new business now. Um, it's been recapitalized. You've you've got a new strategy going forward. We've spoken, we've touched on the arrangements you have with MTN and Vodacom uh, your your strategy about, about about being capex light going forward, not investing, not rec- having to invest the way the big incumbents in this market invest. Um, 
Maybe just unpack in, in, in layman's terms what it is you're ter- trying to turn Celsi into. What is this business trying to be to the consumer? Okay, so the, 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 the first part of that needs to be answered by what was done on the network strategy. So Celsi was never going to be able to compete if it did not have a network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the presentation that I released, we'd, we'd sort of 9,131 sites. So if you think about it in a, in a space of three years, despite being in the, in the process of a recap, we've actually increased our network footprint by almost 50%. Mm-hmm. In fact, we've got an, still another 2,500 out of our own sites. So we now sit on almost 11,000 plus sites, well over 11,000 sites, which allows you now to participate. So it didn't make any difference what product offering you were putting there. You just didn't have the sites or the place to offer it. So mm-hmm. if you didn't have the ubiquitous network and you didn't have a 4G-enabled capable network, you were never going to be able to offer anything to your, to your customer. So that's the first thing that's changed. So the, 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 the identity of, of, of Celsius as an MNO still, without a doubt, is maintained. We still carry an ECNS license. We're regulated. We control our quality. We control our IMSI ranges. We control all of that part of it. The core and my CapEx guidance was between 800 million and 1.2 billion. We will invest in the core. We will invest in platforms to support everything that goes around the core and the customer experience. So that was the very first thing in the strategy which we had to get sorted out. That then allowed us to sit and say, okay, what opportunity do you have now that you will have a network? So in another, in, in basically 12 months from now, we are fully transitioned over onto MTN. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, we will now have like-for-like coverage um, on a 4G basis as what all of the other networks. So now we can start offering products because we've got a shop to offer it, so to speak, yeah. which we never had before. The difference is now is that we have got to maintain focus on starting to address some of the needs in the market. Now, my take is that the, this industry, and I've been in it my whole life, has been incredibly prescriptive with its products. And it's kind of, we tell the customers what to do. And I think those days are kind of ended. You can put whatever you want in terms of, of you know, programs and promotions and, and all of those types of things. But at the end of the day, we got to start listening to our customers. So, we believe that we are well positioned to offer best price for best service network, um, but that we will now start to, we've always stayed strong in the leadership of, of, of the customer-centric model uh, from the Ask Orange and, and, and the mm-hmm. likes. We've maintained our holding in the top 30 brands in the country, which was very, very, very uh, pleasing for me, given you know that we've had minimal marketing brand spend and mm-hmm. the like. So, so we've got to cap- keep capitalizing on the legacy that sits there. But there's definitely the winds of change are here for the industry. Um, the, 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 there can't be a price race because that's the only differentiator that the networks have at the moment. And, and so you're using CVM models to, to try and keep your customer happy. But at the end of the day, your customer is looking at this and saying, I need to get to a service or a product mm-hmm. and data's in the way. And so how I see us being positioned is partnerships, which I'm, I'm, I'm very heavy on, and I know you're going to ask me about MVNO specifically, but we, we, we want to, uh, the networks can carry on with their aggregation um, and consolidation, and we want to be the partner, partner network. We yeah. want to give the digital footprint to people in all of the in service offerings that they have, because I don't believe any one particular company owns a customer. You all touch a customer in a particular way. So the big thing is how do we 
embrace this digital divide? How do we get this economy digitalized? And then what services do we pack on top of that that we are now able to do because we've got a network? Mm-hmm. So those services, do they do they go beyond the traditional, you know, here's a phone, here's a SIM card connected oh, to the network? they have to. They have to. So look, what, I mean, what are we talking about here? Do you Does that mean Celsius <coughs> is going to look to launch, I don't know, video entertainment, which is no, something you were in before? Uh, video uh, entertainment, a <laughs> uh, uh, lesson is well uh, is well learnt in that one. Sure. Um, but, but, but certainly we have a place in the value chain mm-hmm. for any of these things that are there. So that's where we will, we will start to pay. We, we need to listen to, to we, we've already started a process to really find out what the bugbears of our customers and forgetting that everyone is saying yes, obviously everyone wants data for as cheap as possible. Yep. But at the end of the day, there's value to data if the service that's on top of it is enhancing your particular need. Mm-hmm. And that is how I'm building the service bus that will go now. How do you do that, though? How do you differentiate from what your competitors are doing? <clears throat> well, I mean, you, 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 you make a valid point because at the moment you're sitting with a, with a essentially fully commoditized product yeah. in, in, in megs and minutes. Mm. So, so the way I see it is that I'm going to start looking towards getting to, to make my megs and minutes do something else for my customer, that he doesn't see the megs and minutes, but that he understands that the service that I'm offering him with the collaboration of the rest of industries, no matter what they are, can come through me. Okay. When, when can we expect to start to see some of these uh, new solutions coming to market from Celsi? Well, obviously, I mean, I've got to respond to, 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 to the offerings that have gone out now um, um, from, from our latest MVNO. So, mm. you know, we've still got to look at, at, at how that... But it's, I think the first thing is to start taking away real pain points for customers mm-hmm. um, because there's frustration. There's definitely... The next big thing is obviously, you know, the economy is still <coughs> struggling with the amount of penetration on smartphones. Mm. So, you know, you've got a whole side of the economy that can unleash the minute it can get access to, to smarter devices. And it's not necessarily a business that I want mm. to be in, but certainly I want to be able to put products on top of those devices that can, can make, right. you know, life easy. And there's lots of things that, that we need to do in the economy that that can help us, you know, um, the digitization of just basic services um, is important. Uh, education, s- s- syllabus, standardization of that type of stuff, where the vernacular language is the only difference between what is actually offered. So the opportunities to, to participate in, in these types of things, as mm-hmm. I talk to other industries, I think is, is, is pretty good when, you, when you're offering a sort of digital layer mm-hmm. for people to interact. Is there a particular customer <coughs> that you see Celsius targeting going forward? Is there a particular LSM where you think you're going to be strong? I, 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 I kind of have a disliking to that LSM thing, okay. to be quite frank. Um, networks traditionally sort of look at, at spend bans yeah. by LSM to classify a customer cohort. I think probably, well, our view of it is to start looking much deeper into the behavioral aspects of a customer, when do they do what and what do they need when? Mm-hmm. Because that's ultimately going to determine satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If I was a prospective Celsius customer standing in front of you today, uh, knowing where Celsius is going, it's been through the recap, etc., um, and I was to ask you, uh, okay, I'm I'm in the market for a for a for a service from a mobile operator. Why should I choose Celsius over your competitors? Well, that's a very good question at the moment because. The truth of the matter is, what is the differentiator? So what is your USP that, yeah. that you have as a network? The truth of the matter is, it's not a lot. Uh, a customer goes into a shop and says, 
mm, if I want an iPhone or I want this, they kind of hunt around for which is the best deal on the on the iPhone, not mm. what's the best telco deal behind it. Mm. So that's 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 a challenge that we're going to have. I think from Salsi's perspective is that Salsi has learned an enormous amount about what it's capable of and what it could do. And so our view on disruption and our confidence in being able to start a process of launching products is ultimately going to be where we will be much more adventurous, if you want to put it, in the disruption road. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what what's going to be the big differentiator. And as, as I start looking at the product roadmap that I've put in place, I had to have a network, as I said first. Yeah. Now I can start to put it. Because you can't launch something into a place that's not there. Yeah. In other words, watch this space. In the near future, it's we should be seeing some interesting things. You will definitely see some interesting ones. I want to explore a little bit um, your the decommissioning of your RAN and what's involved in doing that. Uh, it's a pro How long is it? When did you start this process? Now, we started the decommissioning in the beginning of 2020-odd. Okay, so it's been going on for two and a half, yeah, just so over two it's, and a half years. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's a quite an elaborate process. What's actually involved? Well, so you need to, effectively what you, so the tower itself, the actual physical tower, mm. that was never ours, that was, 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 was. You sold that several yeah, years that ago. Yeah, that was a lease book that was sold out long ago. But to it, American Tower Corporation. To American Tower, yeah. correct. So the equipment that's sitting on top of it is yep. part of the tower decommissioning. So. Uh -huh. It's all of that equipment that, and that was what was driving a huge amount of the impairments. I mean, you were sitting with 3G equipment that was really working, but now that mm. you've already said you're going to move over to it, you know, auditors were forcing us to put, put impairments through, and impairments have been a very noisy part of our numbers. Mm. So as we basically pull all the equipment off it, um, and we, we hand it over onto, onto our virtual RAN, that, that's where that decommissioning cost comes in. So there will still be an element of the decommissioning costs coming into the 22 and 23 results, the remainder of this year and, and into 23, yeah, as we finalize the, the the full transition of the network. Do you stay on any of those towers or do you move entirely? No. no. So, so ATC continues to own those towers and they sell services. Well, ATC, IHS, all of them are part of that now. Right. They, they will do what tower companies do. You sell capacity. Correct. Right, right, interesting. Okay, so, so you, you, you've got to do this on a region-by-region region basis. I, I see you've done most of the provinces We've already. done all of the surrounding provinces. So we, I said we're 9,100, but the yeah. biggies are now obviously um, Gauteng. Yeah, and uh, Western Cape, you've still got some. Western Cape, we've still got a few to do. A few to do. But Gauteng, according to your recent presentation, you're on about 33%. <coughs> Correct. Um, yeah. when, when do you expect to complete the, the, roll, the rollout? I think we'll probably done be, we'll be done by about August of next year. August of next year, I guess. There's still quite a bit of work to do. Yeah, no, look, that's dense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not an easy area. And the, and the equipment you're taking out of these towers, can mm. you resell it? Does it have any value? Not really. To who's going to buy it? Too old. It's too old. Fascinating. So that was always the problem. Yeah. You know, you, 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 were, you were really trying to get something you couldn't get out of. It, it, it's just not possible mm. uh, to get it to, to work. I mean, mm. A 30-year-old car doesn't work. Mm. Your software is outdated. It's outdated. Mm. And tech, technology moves so technology, quickly. That's another big thing. The technology evolution rate is, is faster than, I mean, it's a big challenge for mobiles. I mean, yeah. your technology is evolving at a stupendous speed. And you know, there's a huge associated cost with it. So you yeah. can't just replace it tomorrow and say, okay, now we're fine. It doesn't mm. work. Let's talk about MVNOs uh, because that's been a huge <coughs> success, success for Celsi. Uh, two of your operators, uh, competitors, sorry, MTN and Vodacom, have announced that they 
they are now offering MVNO services, but they don't seem to have signed up very many MVNOs on the networks. I think MTN has signed up a couple. Um, TFG was their last one. TFG. Mm. Um, Vodacom, I'm not aware that they've signed up any yet, despite saying that they have a platform to do this. But yet LC has got, I think, dozens of MVNOs on its uh, network. The original is gone, Virgin Mobile, for yes. various reasons. Uh, but um, almost every other week, there's an announcement of a new MVNO launching on on Celsi. How have you guys been so successful where the others uh, seem to be struggling a bit? Well, well I, think, I think the big thing is, is, is to understand that uh, there's two parts of it. It's MVNO and MVNE. So the enablement portion is, mm-hmm. is, 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 is the part that, that you've got to focus on. That would be the first. And then I don't honestly believe there was, there was a real spirit. You know, it's kind, kind of counterintuitive for a big network to <coughs> want to put an MVNO on mm-hmm. to compete with them on their own product. So, so it sort of didn't make any sense. It was also, as you'd be aware, part of the ob- ITA obligations that MVNO product mm-hmm. was opened up. So I think there was a portion of that that wasn't. But you know, we've, we've, we've put a lot of IP into MVNO. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... You know, the big thing that's always been testy is, you know, the recap and where was the recap going to go? And obviously, the fact that we started to catch up very quickly the, the um, site differential um, has, has helped us mm. to, to make that decision to come on board. And we like to think we're easy to work with. <laughs> Douglas, let's talk a little bit about the uh, competitive state of the market in South Africa. There's a lot of talk going on about potential merger activity with the uh, the MTN telecom discussions which are taking place. We've seen the RAIN proposal to telecom's board. What's your view of the state of competition in the telecommunications industry in South Africa and the talks that are going on right now? Do you think, do you think that if there was a tie-up between two major operators like MTN and telecom, it would be good for the industry or bad for the industry and for consumers for that matter? Look, I think the, the, big, the big problem that the industry have is it's incredibly capex intense. Mm. So you don't want to be in a situation where you've got multiple players trying to compete for the same capital pool because you just get effectively a 30-lane highway, which is, is inefficient. Mm-hmm. But the, so, so you'll gain efficiency by, by getting consolidation in the infrastructure. Where SALC has positioned itself up is that it's not in the infrastructure game anymore, so it sort of divorces itself away from that. So you've got a clear supplier of infrastructure and you've got a clear aggregator and taker of, of, of services over the infrastructure, which is where we position ourselves. So we believe that we can add competition to the industry in, in that position in its own right. Um, the big question, of course, is going to come, uh, is what happens to the spectrum allocations that have gone to these various operators um, and so I, I, it's, not a, it's not an area that I particularly want to, mm-hmm. to, to, to get involved in. Um, you know, I don't see that as a clear and present danger per se for, for Cell C. Um, consolidation and an availability of more capital, and if we are able to close a digital divide quicker, then it's, it's potentially good. But you do have to have robust regulation, and you, the big thing would be that the regulation has to catch up. The ECA of 2005 needs review, mm-hmm. and, and we definitely need to look at expansion of regulation to accommodate a model like ours that, that, that houses and does what we do. So that would be my sort of take on it. Um, and it's inevitable that efficiencies 
have to be gained um, with these with with these consolidations in it. Um, but as long as you've got a market playing field that allows access to that infrastructure and access to it in the correct manner, then I do think it will be good for the industry. And for consumers? It has to be good for consumers because consumers are suffering from two things. The first is obviously there's, there's, there's pricing pressures. And I mean, everybody wants data to fall. But data can't fall endlessly because the infrastructure demand is too high. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a catch-22 situation. So how do you... <coughs> get the right amount of data to the right person for the right product set. And therein is where the challenges lie. So the traditional MNOs are now moving into their own financial services offerings and that type of thing in order to preserve margin and to build up new business units so as that they can get a return on their capital investment. You spoke about um, a potential policy. We know the Minister of Communications has been talking about some big changes to the telecommunications environment and updating the ECA. Uh, in, in fact, that, that policy uh, proposal uh, includes the uh, suggestion that we introduce spectrum trading in South Africa. Do you think spectrum trading is a good thing? As long as it's not spectrum hoarding. So, you know, the big question remains, what's going to happen with 100 meg left that would have gone to the WOAN? Yeah. Um, how accessible is spectrum going to be to smaller players and what they can do with it? Because you know, the outcome of this auction was an enormous amount of money paid for, for Spectrum. Um, mm. I think everybody could agree that there wasn't, ex- you know, there was an expectation of price, but not quite where they got to. Um, but Spectrum is, an, is, is, is the, the, the fuel that makes the networks work. So, mm. you know, Spectrum trading, um, if it's done in the right regulated environment for the right reasons, I, I think is obviously great. You went into the Spectrum auction earlier this year, effectively with both your hands tied behind the ba- your back, given that the recap hadn't happened yet and you were in a very difficult position, un- unable to compete with the uh, in that auction process with the deep-pocketed uh, bigger rivals out there. Um, are you disappointed um, in the outcome of the auction? You've got 10 megahertz of Spectrum in the 3.5 gigahertz band. What does that allow you to do? Uh, and do you, do you see a need to participate very actively when the WOAN's spectrum eventually becomes available to operators. Look, I mean, there's not a network in the world that I want more spectrum. Mm. Um, but I can't cry over spilled milk. Uh, at the end of the day, I've still got to be, you know, happy with the spectrum I've got. And if you if you think about it from this perspective, if you look at the, the 86 megs of spectrum that effectively we will have, and you look at the subscribers that we carry on that, um, you can see that we've actually got a lot of headroom Mm. still to work with the existing spectrum that we had. We never took up temporary spectrum when, when the offer was, was, was out there um, because we didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other networks were carrying a huge amount of traffic and obviously the COVID did induce a, a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of constraints onto the network, so it was the right thing to do. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I would obviously like to get my hands on more spectrum and we have to see what it's going to look like and how that's going to be dealt with. Um, there's been obviously indication that you know they wanted to get to smaller players and that type of thing, but then again, smaller players have to to have a proposition mm. that would make the spectrum that they want to trade tradable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, five um, <coughs> G is is uh, you know a lot of South Africans are talking about five G. Five G smartphones are getting it, starting to penetrate the market. MTN and Vodacom have rolled out five G services. Telcom is talking about rolling out 5G. Where do you stand in 5G? Are you, um, given the spectrum assets that you have, are you able to deploy 5G infrastructure? Will you rely on your 
your partners and to do that? I allow my partners to do that and, and my spectrum that right. I existingly have already. Sure. You know, so the big question is what happens with 2, two and 3G? Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously there's, there, there's a lot of, you know, plans around looking at a view to sunset and that, but, you know, people do must realise that half of your 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 population is still connected via a two G phone, yeah. and 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 so that remains a very big barrier to entry, um, getting into smartphones. And you know the pricing differences between what you're buying on the lower end of a phone at three four hundred rand mm. up to thirty thousand rand plus is is really where your problem sits. So it's getting the right smartphone into the right pricing zones, and, yeah. and you know it won't necessarily be the networks that will do that. How long will we be on two G for in this country? Do you think? Look, I mean. <clears throat> That's one of the do you think. Um, I, I, I think we're going to be on it a little bit longer than we, <clears throat> we would like to be. Um, because, you know, you've got to get economic growth fired up. You've got to be able to get these devices into it. And you've got to give a reason mm. that, that makes commercial sense to the person to go that extra mile to. So, so you know, part of closing the digital divide is, is basically saying to somebody that your investment into a smart device is going to pay you back because you have information, like you know what's a queue, you know whether this is available, you don't have to waste money on fuel going into it. That's what, how I see the, the trade-offs being. Mm. Mm-hmm. 3G, could you switch that off before you switch to switch off 2G potentially? Yeah, I think you would probably want to start farming out your 3G, First. you know, get it mm. into the 4G space. Okay. okay. You know, reuse it there. And 5G, how much, how much of a hurry are you in to, to launch 5G services? Look, I mean, there's, there's, there's obviously going to be a lot of pressure to launch 5G services, but, um, you know, I, the, the, the clarity in the industry about exactly what they want to do with 5G, you know, let's not confuse, I've got 5G. Mm. Because, yes, you, you go and you've got a network broadcast that tells you you've got on 5G, but as a consumer, well, what does that mean? Mm. Not, not a lot right now, probably. I wouldn't think so. I mean, whether I got four, if I've got a... A, a, a very nicely enabled 4G LTE phone that's yeah. giving you 30, 40 megs mm. is, is in my mind, is my, in my mind, great. Mm. You know, 5G is going to drive a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, virtual reality, you know, augmented reality, that type of stuff is going to mm. go through 5G. You need low latency and you need speedy decisions. But 5G, I think, is going to be more a commercial type of a product for, right. for for businesses to work that connect to a customer. Okay, and you're not seeing the consumer demand for it necessarily right now? Well, it's not like, you know, I mean, you've got the tech fundies that all, you know, want the latest phone. I mean, yeah. you've got a person. And that's an important market segment, isn't it? It is, it very much is. And I mean, you can't ignore that. Mm. I mean, you, you, there, there, there's people that are loyal customers to these networks that have been on, and you know, that have followed the journey and, and those customers are, 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 are very, competent mm. in understanding what the technology offers. And so, you know, they, they, their demand for it will most definitely be there. Yeah, yeah. And that's an important customer segment, I'd imagine, because course, yes. they are high-spending customers. Absolutely. Mm. I want to ask you, just before we wrap, uh, a bit about culture, uh, organizational culture. Celsius has been through the grinder in the, last, uh, in the last few years. I can <coughs> imagine that that's been very difficult on your staff. Know, not knowing what's coming next. Is a recap going to happen? Are we going to be bailed out? Um, I imagine it's pretty stressful inside an organization like that, not just for the management team, but for ordinary employees as well. Now that you're past recap, how do you address culture issues within the organization? How do you 
get your staff fired up to build a winning team for the future? Um, I mean, they've, they've been through a lot of stress. What do, you, what do you tell your employees? How do you start to shift that culture to one that's a, you know, a, re, a winning culture that, that thinks that they can actually go to market and, and beat the bigger guys out there? So I think there was, there's actually, in my mind, two parts of it. The, the first was dealing with what was effectively the legacy culture that was in the organization. And, and, and by that, what I mean was you had a very autocratic, um, not responsible kind of a culture that was sort of self-serving. Um, you didn't have a performance-driven environment. It, you know, and that was testament to the amount of, of losses the, 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 mm. the, comp- the company ran up. And then there was a certain amount of safety in, well, nothing can ever go wrong. This is kind of the way it, it, it goes. As part of the right-sizing exercise, obviously, the Section 189 processes that we went through brought a huge amount of pain to the business. Sure. Um, and, you know, nobody wants to be a CEO that has to, to let staff go. Mm. Um, the next part was, once we'd been through a lot of that organizational pain, sort of the Band-Aid had been pulled, so to speak, a rebuilding process had to start. Now, the rebuilding process actually had started quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So what we needed to do was get participation. We needed to <clears throat> break down the silos and we needed to get people to start feeling that they were being heard and start to open up and get the confidence and the trust back within the organization. Once you get that back into the organization and they've got a clear understanding of strategically where you're going to go and what was the work that was in, involved in this journey, it, it kind of has quite a nice impact on people because mm. they start to get a, an element of faith back in that there is a system out there that is going to do it. And the recap is the start of a new journey for us. But we've been working on, 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 on making the cultural changes within the organization for at least the last year and almost two years, in, in, in fact. And, and I'm very lucky to have a phenomenal HR head mm-hmm. in, in Juba Mashaba who really understands it. But you've got to walk the floor and you've got to talk to the people and you've, you've got to build the trust back up and, and get people to understand that, you know, you lead from the front and there's nothing that's hidden. We'll, we'll tell you everything yeah, yeah. if you want to hear it. Right. So, so you, a lot of that work's already done, you think? A lot of the cultural we, shift We've gone happened. through a lot of it. I think the big thing is going to be the, the recap is not a silver bullet mm. and it's not the panacea. Now, suddenly everything's going to be okay. Mm. Now, we're going to have to work. There's a lot to do now and we've got to execute on a plan. We've got to execute on our stated strategy. And so, you know, we've all got to pull equally on the yoke to get to that next space. One must be under no illusion about that. There's no, there's going to be no free ride in this, in this going forward, and 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 Celsius under a lot of pressure to perform, um, and you know, w- you know, once I can get to a, a set of normalised results, that's going to be part of it. Governance was a very big thing in the business that was 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 a journey for me to to put in. Um, you know, we we will move towards being King Four compliant, and I really look forward to issuing a first integrated report. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, culturally speaking, I, I, I think, I think you, if you can win the hearts of your staff, uh, they, they, will, they will go to war with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you had to pick two or three metrics 
I mean, you, you're at a point now, Celsi, I think in your presentation you said this is a turning point for Celsi. Uh, as a management team looking forward, you've obviously got a three-year plan. Uh, what would you say are the two or three key metrics that you measure to determine success? So you look back three years from now, hopefully, and say, these are the three things we've, we've, we've succeeded at, and this, this is amazing. So the first one would be a, a sort of a, a culmination of not making mistakes. And I was, I, I, I've been quite vocal about the fact that there was really silly business decisions made. So the first thing would be to look at what do you want to achieve from your customer growth? Is it profitable? And does a product, product work? And be quick to fix a mistake or quick to capitalize on a, on a, on a, on a, on a win. Mm-hmm. That would be number one. The second thing would be that I need to understand that the cost envelope and the shape of the way the business is going to look has got a particular form and we cannot deviate from that. So we cannot rush certain things. There's no build it and they will come kind of mentality that we will have. I've given guidance that you know revenue will be sort of at around 6% KGAR growth mm-hmm. because you, you've got to instill and keep the confidence and that, that's a very sort of, people would say a fluffy matrix, but I don't think it is. It's something that's saying, if your stakeholders are comfortable that you know what you're doing, they will, they will keep it. And you've got to monitor that. And you only get that by continual updates to the market, continual updates to the people that you are dealing with on a daily basis. It's a conservative business approach. Well, it's, a, it's, it's what I have to be. Conservative in a good way. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've got to be very controlled about where you want to go for opportunity. Mm. And you, because I don't have a balance sheet to place at risk. Mm. So I, I can't afford to, to make a mistake if I do. I have to correct it very quickly. Mm. And then I think obviously as you go to sort of projecting results in that, there's going to be what does my EBITDA look like compared to a typical MNO and how you reconcile those differences. And, you know, at the end of the day, what do I want to get in terms of an ROI Mm. and shareholder value? Last question. Do you stick around, Douglas? Uh, You've... um, You've done the hard work here now. Uh, this business is on a new trajectory. Do you see yourself leading CLC for the next few years? I most certainly hope so. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's been a it's been a, a it's been a hell of a, a journey for me. I mean, I, I couldn't have there, there was many days that I I didn't have an answer. There's no textbook that you could go to for mm-hmm. this type of thing. But it's it's built resilience and it's built an understanding of what what what's real and what's not. Um, but this is the second stage of the journey, mm-hmm. and um, you know a successful CLC is going to be is going to be the is going to be the chapters that people want to you know want to read about. It's could CLC be saved? Would they get to the recap? Yes, we had a business case. We got to that. Mm-hmm. Now we've got to deliver on it, and it's it's me and my management team that put it together. So yeah. you know it's 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 for us to now put our money where our mouth is. Hopefully, a more fun part of the journey as well. It's it's. You have to bring fun back into it. I mm. think that's that's one of the most important parts of it. You know, uh, we're doing a job. Let's be clear about sure. that. But <clears throat> the fun sense of it is is creating that disruption, creating that innovation, understanding that you that you you're contributing. Yeah, yeah. Douglas Craigie Stevenson is CEO of Celsius. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thanks so much for joining us in studio today. Thanks very much, Duncan. Always good to be here. Thank you.